And thank you guys for singing. I don't know if you feel it that way or not, but it is does so much good for my soul. I feel it in my bones when I hear you singing alongside of me. Um, so thank you for that. <clears throat> we are um, we just finished a series called uh, Serving, looking at the way. Uh, the witness and way of Jesus, which is the way of serving. And if you've not been with us, if you're newer with us this year, uh, particularly, we are um, pausing. Uh, we actually did that for an entire month in July, and we'll, we'll have one echo of it today, but the serving series. But what we're doing each month is we are um, concentrating on a practice uh, from the way of Jesus. And so we don't want to just preach about things, talk about things. We want our faith to be, in this is the way God intended it, to be an embodied faith, to be one that we live out. We don't just think about, don't just nod and take notes, but we want to live in such a way that it is practicing his witness and following his way so that others might take note that there's something different about you and about y'all. And particularly today, that's what we're going to look at, the y'allness of cultivating community. On purpose, um, I have added that verb, that active word, cultivating, there. We are going to talk about community uh, today. We're going to look at what community is, why it matters, why it's so magnetic, why it does something in our bones, um, and then we'll look at the way of community today. But I want you to know that's what we've been doing uh, each month, and for the next several months now, um, where some of them have been more things we do on our own, like uh, praying at times or meditating on God's Word. Um, those can be things that we're doing on our own. That's important. There's a good tension to hold within the Christian life and following Jesus, where Jesus himself, he often got away to pray. Uh, Jeff Jones, who preached last week, mentioned that. How did Jesus stay on mission and be about what he knew God had for him and his calling and not do what everybody else wanted him to do was he often got away. Well, those are important things. But also, he was often together. And we are called, we are designed to be often together. In this kind of setting, yes. In smaller settings like we'll talk about in Life Group Connect, uh, over, over a good cup of coffee or a meal or at our tables with one another, all of those aspects of, are, are aspects of cultivating community. And again, like I said, it's not just about us taking notes here, but we, would, we might live in such a way that people are intrigued, they're curious as to what is going on with those people. If you'll throw up the next slide here, um, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution. Um, it's based off a uh, book by Greg Laurie, who many of you know is a pastor in California, uh, who grew up in the 60s, 70s era. Just imagine uh, hippies running around um, and in various activities that community communities all have shared activities. They had shared activities that um, maybe the church at that time is like, what in the world do we do with these people or should we just shun them? What do we do? And I love in the, um, it opens with uh, a baptism in Pirate's Cove in California. I don't know if you've seen the news lately, but a couple of weeks ago, they had another baptism. We're about 50 years removed, 50 plus years removed from 
when Jesus' revolution was going on and um, the movie's based on. Um, and I believe Greg Laurie, um, he now pastors a church called The Harvest, I believe it is. And they had a baptism there. I think they do it quite often in this place. That's where he was baptized. But there was something like over 4,000, 4,500 people baptized a few weeks ago, and something like 20,000 people in this little cove uh, in California. But the movie opens with this man, um, who I don't know that they were ever told his name is Josiah, is the man's name, whether that was the real reporter's name or not. But he was sent by Time Magazine, basically to embed within what is going on and what's the deal with these people. Something's happening out there, and hippies and traditional church people are hanging out. We wouldn't expect that. We would expect fireworks and hostility, and yet we are seeing something we can't put our finger on. Go find out. And so they send a reporter. So the movie opens um, where you're watching a baptism, uh, and he approaches Greg's character, or Greg, and you know, basically he's like, what's going on here? He's trying to get some sense of it. And then it then goes backwards about a year to where it was that Greg himself was and kind of being invited into the hippie world, got into psychedelics and some other stuff, but then how eventually the Lord was moving mightily uh, in that time and began to bring some folks out of that community to himself in relationship and then, again, a lot of the movie is the, the folks in suits and ties and the people without shoes and, you know, maybe without a shower. How are in the world are they getting along, and why is this thing growing? What is going on with these people? And the movie uh, doesn't end in, but toward the end of the movie, um, it's only been a few years, but the, but the movement of Christ throughout the Jesus, you know, movement, if you were the Jesus people, Jesus freaks, they called them lots of things. But um, toward the end of that, the reporter is basically kind of done enough re re uh, research, and he is going to go back and finish his article, which does become uh, a Time Magazine cover, the Jesus Revolution, uh, chronicling this revival, if you will, this movement of God that was unexplainable. And I don't remember the exact words, and I couldn't find the, the clip for you, but you can tell that Josiah, who came probably cynical, probably, oh, man, I got sent to the church assignment, to, huh, to, I'm intrigued, to, hmm, I'm kind of leaning in. I'm, 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 I'm not just, I, what I'm seeing, I can't put together, and then what I'm sensing, I can't explain. And so by the end of the movie, as he's talking to Greg and he says he's going back, he's not quite at the point, at least the way they portray it, he's not quite at the point of going, I'm all in to this, but he is, he is acknowledging there's something to this. This is real, and if it's not, I, I hope, <laughs> that would be my hope that it is. And so there is this hope embedded within each of us there is this, if you will, uh, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there is this eternity embedded in each of us that we can't quite figure out in this world, and yet it's a search we all go on, and it's a search to be seen, to belong, 
to be known for eternity. We don't want just to live forever. We want to live forever in relationships where we are known, where we are part of something and we matter, where we are known and we know that we matter. So what I want to do is have you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to have our own reporter, Dr. Luke, um, who, like a good reporter, uh, is very attentive to details, very observant. Uh, And then what he wants to do is he wants to try to capture for us that though Jesus died, he did rise, but then he ascended, so he's not visible, and yet he's still at work. But now he's at work through his spirit who indwells his church. In the book of Acts, the key to the book of Acts and understanding it and following it is Acts 1.8. When the Jesus' men are like, hey, wait, 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 when is the kingdom going to happen? We, this didn't quite happen how we thought. You got killed, and now you're resurrected. And, but is this now? that? And he goes, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or the epics. It's for the Father to know. He says, but here, here's what you can do in the meantime, and here's what I'm commissioning to you. Uh, for you to do in the meantime, but you shall be my witnesses, or like Colby was sharing, ambassador. You shall represent me and tell the true story of me transforming your life. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they started, Judea, it ripples out, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This was always God's plan, and he's saying, I'm starting with you, but I don't intend for it to stop with you, and I'm, I'm giving you my spirit. You've got to wait on my spirit. But when the spirit comes, he will indwell you, and he'll empower you to be my witnesses. He'll give you the words to say. He'll change your life in such a way. He'll change your alignment and relationships and deepen them in such a way that people are like, what is going on with those people? And so Dr. Luke in Acts 2, they'll be on the screen if you don't have um, a copy of God's word. Acts 2, we're going to start in verse 41 because the Spirit has come, and people are speaking, and there's people from all over because they've come for a feast. Uh, Many of them God-fears, but they're coming from all over that known region. So from different cultures, different backgrounds, different languages. And the apostles, the Spirit comes upon them. They speak in those known languages so that people can understand the message of the God. And, And but some people are like, oh, they're drunk. And Peter's like, no, let me explain to you what's happening. This is what was promised long ago by the God who's always been at work. But now he's at work in a new way because he's brought about a new covenant, and it'll be a new covenant community of his spirit. That's who we are as the church. He says, but I want to explain it to you. And he basically lets them know, hey, this man Jesus, he was attested to you by signs and wonders. That means God authenticated him as his man and his message. He died, but you're the ones who put him there. But also, that wasn't an accident, and God didn't go, man, I fumbled that. He said it was actually uh, part of the predetermined plan of God. And then eventually, as they're hit with this, they're convicted, and they say, what should we do? They're pierced in their hearts. And he says, to repent, change your mind and change the direction and lean of your life and put it on him, the one who was your place taker on the cross. And so in verse 41, that is where we pick up in the story. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So then, verse 41, so then those who had received Peter's word were baptized. I mean, they're identifying publicly as having trusted Christ. 
And that day there were, at, there were added about 3,000 souls. Man, so it was 120 waiting somewhat nervously but prayerfully in an upper room, and now it's at least 3,120 within a matter of a few days. Verse 42, they, those folks who were cut to the heart and had believed, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, or some of your translations say fear. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so Dr. Luke is, is acting like an embedded reporter, but really what he's doing is he's inviting us and this is what we're going to do actually multiple weeks beyond this one. We want to embed ourselves in. We want to, with God's help, transport ourselves back there to spirit leading our imaginations to what is it that marked these people? What is going on in that place with these people? What kind of community is this? And uh, you need to know this, uh, community is, is basically the word, it means to share in common, to share in common. In fact, you can find community, uh, there's Harley-Davidson uh, riding clubs, you know, there's um, pottery, uh, communities of people who are, are into pottery, uh, the Kaufmans are, have this community where they go with VW buses, is that the right term? Not a van, a bus. They're trying to have the second Jesus revolution, but just mostly the Volkswagen part, um, right? And what? And those people, they love each. They, they, there's laughter. There's lingering. There's we we schedule some things together. We make sure we're with each other. We talk about the things that we want to, you know, that are important to us. But every community basically has three three essential things because what community means is unity uh, around common or shared things like shared values. So. One author has said that every community has these three things at least. A common place. you got to get together in some capacity. A com, uh, common possessions. We share. We share a meal. Or, hey, uh, you, you need uh, some lawn equipment? I can help you out. Common place, common possessions, and common purpose. But particularly what we want to look at is there's something that marks a Christian community that has a greater depth, uh, a, a, a longer-term trajectory than perhaps, you know, we were into Beanie Babies. Well, that kind of faded. But now is it coming back? Can we kill that one, please? All right. Christian community has something to it that has a depth, that has a, I can't put my finger on it, that has a, what is going on with these people. Well, really, that's because if we are living as God intended us and calls us to, if we are fostering and cultivating the community that God has 
bought us with the price of his son and placed us into already, if we are cultivating that kind of community, there will be something magnetic about it. And that's what I want to talk about very briefly. We're going to look about a, a, a lot of the what is this community marked by, but, but why is community, the next slide, why is community so magnetic? <clears throat> you know, I've always been, uh, had childlike fascination with, with magnets and how they work, and, and I really don't know much. But it's interesting that, you know, metal objects, if, they're, if, they're, if there's a magnetizing amount, they don't change like how they look. But what changes is there's now something inside of them that draws other objects to them. And, and just notice in, the, in, in, in this passage, again, we're going to visit it more, so we're not going to cover every, everything today. But verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And they were daily continuing with one mind in the temple. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. This, this favor is like, man, there's something magnetic about them. There's something about magnetic about how you even treat me, though I'm on the outside. There's definitely something, this sense of awe and fear is, there's something magnetic and, and awe-inducing or stirring in me because I don't think you should go together. You know, you're, you're really young and really old. You're a Jew and you're a Gentile. Um, you're a, let's see, your left is over here. You're left-leaning politically and you're right-leaning politically. And yet, y'all don't just tolerate each other, you enjoy each other. And there's a magnetism there it goes all the way back to that you and I being made in the image of God means we made in the image of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who exist in the perfect unity of the Trinity. But it's unity in diversity of persons in the community of the Trinity. We can't even fully put our finger on that, but that's the God in whom we were made in his image the God who's three in one, the God who is love because it, love is shared amongst Father, Son, and Spirit. But beyond that, being made in his image, he also put in us as human beings, we are born to be seen and to be known by others. I want to read you something from Andy Crouch. I've mentioned this before, but... Um, when I say, why is community so magnetic? It's because God made us for this. I want you to just listen as he describes those first moments that you and I, no matter where you were birthed, what, what happens, because this is how God made us. Recognition is the first human quest. After an ordinary delivery, after the first few startled cries, newborn infants typically spend an hour or so in the stage doctors call quiet alert. Though they can only focus their vision roughly 8 to 12 inches away, their eyes are wide open. They are searching with an instinct far deeper than intention. They're looking for a face. And when they find one, especially a face that gazes back at them, they fix their eyes on it, having found what they were most urgently looking for. Recognition is the primary task of infancy. 
Feeding, crying, even sleeping are just the support system for this most essential work of figuring out who we are and where we are by making contact with other people. Listen to this line. Seeing them, seeing us. Gradually beginning to build our sense of self through their eyes. Now, I could just read this whole chapter to you. It's phenomenal. But... um, What he's describing there, he's saying, biologically, by the design of God, you and I were made for this, made for recognition from others, made for community, made for relationship with others. In fact, apart from that, we can't know ourselves in a a, a truer and secure way. Another neurobiologist that my wife, I think, is probably desperately scared that I might open that book because it is rocking my world right now. I'm reading a book where, but I think Crouch got his ideas from this guy, um, who, who basically says, when we are from where we were born and as we are in developmental stages, we need to be seen, we need to be soothed, And as we are seen and soothed, which is part of the experiencing love and care, eventually what that builds up is being safe. So that attachment happens. Don't worry, I'm going to get out of my depth if I start saying attachment theory and stuff like that. I'm not saying this to get all psycho Babylon. I'm saying this is being a human being. We're made to be known and to know that we matter. And the way we know that especially to be even known that we are known and matter to God is being known and being seen and therefore knowing that we matter to those who we first catch eyes with, that we catch eyes with again and again, which is why when that's not the case, it's a more difficult road. It doesn't mean it's a not a redeemable road. It doesn't mean God doesn't do transforming beautiful work. But that is why there's the struggle. And then basically out of that, be seen, be soothed, be safe, and then be secure. But it's not like, hey, I'm so secure. It's actually because all of those things set the stage for sending us out in the world to create beauty and goodness and point others to God. So we were made for this. Jeff Jones, that's what his his sermon was on last week. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Good works that he prepared long before and that we should walk in. That's the idea that we matter, that our, our lives are made for a purpose and not on accident. But part of community is um, to know that we are known, recognized, seen, being seen, and then out of that, creating together a beauty, a goodness, an intrigue of what in the world is going on with these people because it doesn't make any sense. You should be so bitter and angry and yet you forgive. You should go passive-aggressive on your spouse by the way they treat you, and yet you forgive and forgive and forgive. What gives? And so community, why it's so magnetic is we were made for it. Now, beyond the being seen as a baby, we continue to grow, right? It's not just the first quest. It's really our lifelong quest, which shows up in three questions. Who am I? It's a question of identity. We can't really know ourselves except for in, through the eyes of others. And particularly through the eyes of God, yes, is what matters most. But we're always going to know the eyes of God through those 
through, through whose eyes we are seen. So uh, identity, who am I? Belonging, to whom do I belong? Or where do I belong? And the third one is, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Do I matter to anyone? Do I matter to making a difference with anyone? And so really today is part two of Jeff Jones's You Matter in terms of those things that we are to give ourselves to according to God's design. But really, the two longings of the human heart, and I, I appreciate Ben Stewart on this. He said the two longings of our human hearts are belonging and mattering. Belonging and mattering. He says, ultimately, yes, the, the greatest need of our hearts is, is for Jesus. What we need most, anyone who is lonely, depressed, anxious, cut off, you name it, what we need most is him. And again, I quote Ben Stewart here. He says, but where he intends for you to find him is here. And by here, he doesn't mean 109B Greenville. He means here, meaning the people. God intends that the one that any person needs most is Jesus, but he intends for him to find, he intends anyone to find Jesus here among us as we love one another and cultivate community. So the what of community, I'm going to do these really, really quickly. Um, what does Luke want us to see and sense uh, in this devoted and dynamic community? Next slide. First of all, just he gives, uh, he, he paints the picture of these devoted rhythms. They had these very regular, not spotty, not um, when nothing else better is going on, these regular essential relational deposits within the community of the new, uh, the early church. And those regular devoted rhythms helped actually align them uh, as a community where God transformed and changed them in the midst of it. It's one of the things that's a fascinating um, deal when you look at embedded reporters, whether it was back in Iraq when we started, first started doing that, or hurricanes when you embed them in the community. And when, especially the hurricanes, you're in this aftermath of trauma and get away till the floodwaters go, but then there's all this need. And then you see neighbors, uh, a neighbor sharing dry clothes with someone who has no clothes. Uh, you see, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk my life to come get you out of that, that situation. And the embedded, it's, what's What's interesting and fascinating is the embedded reporter goes to do the job and then is curious and then is intrigued and then is drawn to say, I, I, I'm, these people and how they love one another is changing me. And that's what God intends. He intends for us these few weeks to embed ourselves in his text and not just do a Bible study, a history lesson, but to be embedded in such a way to say, I want to be part of that. And that is actually his design and invitation. Not just to occasionally attend to something, but to be part of the church, be part of cultivating community. What were their rhythms? Um, verse 42, um, they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And they were in the temple daily. Day by day, they went to the temple. Again, we're going to talk about these in more in depth when we get to them. I just want you to hear this. The word continually devoting themselves to those four things, rooting in God's word, relationally investing in one another, sharing uh, their stuff, sharing their hearts, 
uh, rehearsing the truth about the gospel, breaking bread, that's probably the Lord's Supper, prayers. Um, Continually devoting literally means to be strong toward, to be strong toward, to give oomph to, uh, to give an energized, intentional effort. It's an ongoing, persistent showing up and aligning themselves with God and with one another through these shared activities. The apostles' teaching so that they're rooted in God's word. The fellowship, think about it. We're, we'll talk about it more when we, when we get to that week. But most of these people had come to Christ as they came to, from out of town and didn't live here. And now there's 3,120 at least. I mean, th- think of the logistical nightmare. How devoted do we need to be so that I make sure, even though this is hard, that I stick it out and I'm looking out for what you need, taking care of your needs. And as they devoted themselves to these things, what I want you to see is, well, you could think, oh gosh, community, community, we're not supposed to just be about community because we'll become an ingrown toenail. Yes, I want to put that ugly image in your head because you can become that. I think that's the easy deflection in terms of not investing ourselves fully and personally in living this out. Because what you see in the text is that didn't happen at all. The more they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to one another, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. They were going to the temple daily. We'll get to it uh, again in another time. But they weren't there as much for, well, we're going to Jewish worship. They were still... What they were really doing is in the temple courts, most likely. They were hearing the apostles' teaching, yes. But they were there to reach out to their Jewish brother and sisters who had not yet come to understand who Jesus is. So it wasn't, they didn't become ingrown. They became a, a vibrant place where everyone was feeling a sense of awe, where others were going, what is going on with those people? And so it took those devoted, shared activities um, that broke down barriers, that opened up hearts, and others were impacted. So those were their devoted rhythms, the things they were strong toward. Now I want you to see the dynamic ROI. ROI means return on investment. Hey, if I'm going to invest myself in these people, is this really going to pan out? And I can tell you one of the things that I think is growing in our culture, forget even what we're talking about here, fostering and cultivating community within the church. You pick any activity, any sticking your neck out, I think it's disappearing. I think people are going, I'm going to wait and see. I'm not going to invest myself fully. I'm not going to really try at that. I mean, one of the things that marks younger people now it, it, yes, there's, there's give up, but we've always done that. But it's almost the, I'm not even going to try because I don't want that to fail because if I fail, then I'll actually be on the outside. What I'm saying is, what Luke is wanting us to see and sense is, this was a devoted community, but they weren't ingrown. They were dynamic. It was vibrant, and there were these alive attitudes within this aligned community. So what were those Alive attitudes, well, 43, pick back up there again. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. 
So this awe, notice, is noted before anything about signs and wonders. The awe was, how in the world did these people get along? Jews and Gentiles hate each other. How is it that they're now treating with one another with respect? How is it that they are selling their possessions, which it says in the next verse, and helping somebody else out who needed a bed? What in the world? And, and, and when it says awe, it is from where we get um, phobia. It's fear. It's a deep, reverential, God's doing something, and I, and I want to be a part of it, but it scares me, but I, I can't, like, not watch it. I can't, I don't know what to do with myself. What is going on? That is the alive attitude. And so Luke is saying, you know, when you're, if you're ever questioning like, man, I don't know, you know, is this really going to pan out? And so a lot of us as believers, you might've been in church a long time, but in our day now, we have one foot out the door or, or, the rhythms of relational investments aren't, aren't rhythmic because I, I need to wait and see. And we think, well, is it worth it? I mean, is it going to be, is there going to be a return on my investment? Luke would say, yes, your relational deposits are profitable and they're powerful in two ways, beyond our walls to the non-believer going, what's happening? And within the body, we're going to look at that more. And it's what um, Luke is giving us a picture of koinonia culture. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. It simply means to hold things in common. And yet, what's, as they held things in common and shared them, there was an uncommonness about them, a rarity that people were like, I gotta, I, I gotta know. I, I gotta be part of that. I gotta, I gotta find out. And so this fear of God. But the other thing, not just this koinonia culture, but look in verse 46. They were of one mind. They were um, day by day continuing with one mind. There was this single-mindedness. They were, they were united in one faith with Jesus. They were one body. They were one family. But they also had a one-mindedness about, well, what is my life about now? And in fact, it wasn't what is my life about. It's what's our life about and it was going to be so that we might go and represent him in the temple courts, in our homes. And so, we'll, again, we'll, in a few weeks, we'll talk about that. But this one-mindedness, uh, the first part of that word um, means same or one. But the second part, I love this, could, could be translated elsewhere as angry, temper, fierce. It could mean to rage or seethe like a whirlwind. So these people... Were, uh, there was such a togetherness and a unitedness in relationship and purpose that it, it was the fuel. Uh, you know, you, and I, I've prayed often for myself, just, Lord, I don't want to be a swamp. I, I want to be a river. And a river, when it has those banks of, and for them it was we're together in relationship and we're united in mission. Now we're going somewhere with power but it's not our power. We have now put ourselves in a yieldedness so that the Spirit would work through us. This, I would call it, um, instead of one anger, because that's not the context here, it would be one temperature, that this is an emotion-packed word. They have this single-minded passion to represent Christ and to do so together. 
And so those essential rhythms of devotion are worth it because there is awe. There is this one temperature togetherness and there's sincere hearts, which again, we'll look at later. There's this generosity and genuineness. Our problem is that we, we want the dynamic without the devotion part. We want the awe without having to deal with the play on words, yes, the awfully difficult relational stuff of being close to people and experience their flaws and then, whoops, have them know mine as well. We, we shy away from that, which hinders the dynamic that God intends to be a blessing. Ten, uh, he intends for it to energize us, united around his son, with the, with the eyes that he has for those who want to be seen but feel like they're not seen, feel like they're not noticed, feel like that they're not known, nor does anyone care to know them. We want our relationships to be kind of like Target. It's a myth. It's a great slogan for marketing, but expect more, pay less. Every single one of us, my pledge trainer in, in college knew this about being a frat, frat guy. He's like, you only get out of something what you put into it. And so we are called to be this kind of community, and it's a matter of will we make the regular, essential, risk-taking sure relational deposits so that we might have a togetherness that would be a huge intriguing question mark to others saying what is going on with those people so that's that's the what of community last to ending uh to end is we'll be talking about it more and more but that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe what's the way of community what i want to say is we can't manufacture christian community we can't manufacture it we can't create it What can we do? We can't, we, can't, we can't make folks feel a sense of awe. We can't um, make you feel connected. We can't make one another want to grow, if you will, in Christ. There's a lot that we really can't do. But the only reason why this community was awe-striking and question mark imprinting on people's minds as they saw them in their togetherness was there's no human explanation for this. There's a human explanation for why you and others want to go ride Harleys out on a nice day when not when it's 105, but you know, in the spring, right? But, but we can have bikes that we like and a nice day and ride together and there can be great friendship and all that, but there's nothing supernatural about that. What marks this community is something you can't put on a method. You can't put on a church program, but it marks a community. Um, I read this this week. People can't see the gospel. It's simply the truth, but a devoted and dynamic community makes the gospel's power visible. And the illustration, um, I love this. I almost did this, but I didn't want you to see me with my hair like this, but static electricity. Static electricity, there, it's, there's a power to it, right? You can't see it, but if I took a balloon, blew it up, maybe I'll do this next week, rub it on my shirt and then put it on my hair, what's my hair going to do? You can actually show me with your hand. What's my hair going to do? There we go. So that's the same thing here. 
There was a power within them. It was the Spirit within them. You shall be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you. But we have to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We have to yield to the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. He is the power. He is the one that's the only explanation for why I would get along with somebody who doesn't have almost any preferences that I have or for them to get along with me. Uh, to not bail on a church just because you don't like this or that preference or you have a con- the first whiff of a conflict and you're out the door of your, your life group. That's not supernatural. That's natural. But all those one another's that, that Avinash mentioned a few weeks ago, love one another, forgive one another, put up with one another. When we start doing that, it ultimately can't be explained by Buddy being a really good guy. It, it's going to be explained by that, that we are yielded to the Spirit of God and like that static electricity. I can't really put my finger on it, but I can see it. Um, in fact, the way of community is what Jesus intended. John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What are we seeing in Acts 2? We're seeing them live this out. They're loving one another. They're doing it perfectly? No. Are they getting on each other's last nerve sometimes? Probably yes. But by this, static electricity you can't see, but by this, you can. He says, by the love that you have for one another, sharing your stuff, sharing your hearts, um, caring enough and demonstrating that care by saying, hey, you, you look like something's on your mind. And just simply asking a question to draw your brother or sister out. Or maybe you don't say anything at all because all they need is your presence. He says, by this, over time, over a long period of time, in a long rhythm, in a local place, others will say, hmm. And Jesus would say, "Mm mm-hmm. That's what I want is others to know me because they need me, but they're going to find me here. My question is, how much will they find him here by our welcome, by our love for one another, by the things that we are devoted to, to be devoted to one another? It's God's Spirit that powerfully changes lives. We can't create it, but here's what we can do. I think it's the second to last slide here for you. And Grant, what could community look like here? I want us to be imagining that as we go through some of these passages in the next few weeks. We can't create it, but we can cultivate it. See, the church is a living organism. It's the living body of Christ. In fact, we are the family of God. We can't create or manufacture, but we can cultivate. What do you do when you cultivate? Uh, Don't ask Day and me in terms of plants, but I've heard that a plant at some point needs, uh, you know, soil and water and sunlight. And then if you've got one in a little deal, at some point it has to be a little bit larger and a little bit more direct sunlight or not in the sunlight, all that. What are you doing? You're tending to it to cultivate a growth you can't make happen. And I would say that is the call for you and for me. We were made for it. You and I long for it. We long to be seen, to be known, and to know that we matter. But what I want to put on our hearts, too, is there's so many of your neighbors, there's so many sitting beside you today that want to be known, to be seen, to be known, and to know that they matter. 
And will we see them so that they would feel seen, feel known, feel valuable? And are we, are we willing to make the relational investments? Are we willing to take a step toward folks? Because ultimately, we all are made for it. It's life-giving and life-transforming. But you see on there, cultivate community for others, and you might experience it yourself. The biggest risk is it's a risk. Because you might reach out to somebody. You might show them care in some way. You might say, hey, I'd be interested in, and for a variety of reasons, doesn't even put malintent on them. It won't always jive. You, I want to encourage every single one of you who is not plugged in to go to the Life Group Connect. That's why we're having it to begin a conversation about it. But let me tell you, being on a life group roster doesn't mean you are cultivated. Community is felt. It takes time. It takes patience. And over the long haul, when we make these kind of investments, our prayer is that God would bring that sense of community into your life and to those that you reach out to. But cultivate it for others. Cultivate it for others because that represents Christ and his welcome his love, and you might experience it yourself. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to close with the song. Um, you guys can come on up. Would you be okay if we just sang the chorus of gratitude? Is that all right? Maybe I should ask y'all, would y'all be okay? No. I want to I pray, and then as they're getting set up, because I'm um, I often don't give them time to get set up. I'm actually going to invite three more people up here to present basins and towels to them as part of saying thank you for your relational and sacrificial investment in our, our body. Okay, Lord, uh, grateful for your um, love for us. Thankful for this family, this church family. I pray that, Lord, you might ignite within us that which you put deep within us, but bring it, bring it out. That, that longing to be known and to know that we matter, that longing for belonging and mattering. And I pray that we would be a place where people can belong, that our neighbors at 301, our neighbors at Hidden Gym, our neighbors in our neighborhoods, Lord, that we might extend your welcome to them. We might extend your love through our eyes, noticing them, moving toward them in compassion, and like Colby talked about, extending your welcome like we've been extended welcome from you. Make this a place where it's not about us at all, but they're intrigued by something they know isn't us, and it's you. And we know that ultimately what they need is you, and where they'll f find you, we pray, would be here with us. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite the three people up. Um, they are Connor McDonald and William Clark. And surprise, Sean McDonald. Um, like last week, the guys that are, we recognize, a basin and a towel is a symbol of, of serving, giving your life away in service for others. We've done this all month if you haven't been here. And this is simply like Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's just a reminder of that, but it's also particularly an appreciation for them. Like last week, these guys don't want me to go on and on with words. I'm just going to read what's on here. Um, the one thing I'll do say with them, when we get regathered, these guys logged weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. So I just want to say thank you for that. And really, you have all along. 
Sean has been here, I think, from the beginning. He's the grandfather of our sound. Uh, or no, the patriarch. Patriarch, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. William graduated last year. Connor graduated. We just graduated, about to go to Arkansas. They're examples of students serving. Um, in fact, they're more savvy than we are on this stuff, right? So I'm going to read. Uh, let's see here. William and, and um, Connor, yours are about the same. I think that's you, Connor. Um, I'm just going to read what it says on here, and we'll, uh, we'll stand up and say thank you to God. To William Clark and Connor McDonald, with appreciation for your years of early morning sacrificial service with our AV team, so that your Allen Bible Church family can be built up and, and God be glorified through our worship together. Thank you for being an example of students who serve so other students can follow in your footsteps. And then for Sean, and with gratitude, Sean, for your years of early morning sacrificial service with the AV team, your painstaking care and diligence in stewarding our sound has made possible God's word being heard and God's people at Allen Bible being built up as we lift up his name in song. Thank you. Let's, let's applaud. We won't pray. We'll sing. Thank you, guys. Would you, would you stand and let's um, gratitude.